the teams you care about. I've got Pats, I've got Sox, Bruins, Celtics, UVM. Where do we want to start? The stories that matter to you. A huge shocker out of Foxborough, Mac Jones, the quarterback of your New England Patriots. This is your home for New England sports. I admit it, I'm a card-carrying member of both the High and Bloom and Cam Newton fan clubs. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Brady Farkas Show on a Tuesday right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Once again, today, a full show, all 90 minutes, going right up until 7 o'clock, and then Red Sox-Astros Game 4 American League Championship Series. Sox, huge winners last night, score 12-3, another grand slam, this one by Kyle Schwarber tonight. Nick Pavetta on the mound for the Sox. Zach Granke, his opposition for Houston. We're going to talk with the voice of the Patriots, Bob Sosi. He'll be with us as he always is at 545. And then you'll hear from Red Sox insider Tom Karen throughout the show. So the deal with TC is he always joins us on Wednesdays. Tom Karen always joins us on Wednesdays. But tomorrow we have no show because we have day Red Sox baseball. Game 5 of the ALCS has a first pitch just after 5 o'clock. So we're not on the air tomorrow, so we weren't going to get a chance to talk to Tom Karen. I I taped something with him earlier today. The full interview is already up on the podcast channel. We're going to play back a bunch of it in bits and pieces today here on the show because it was great. So Bob Sosi live with us in about 15 minutes. TC was taped in advance, and we got a bunch of that coming up today as well. As always, you can get in on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. It's your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. Everybody, let's waste no time. Lego! Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. There is absolutely blood in the water tonight at Fenway Park. I told you yesterday that I thought the Red Sox should now be the favorites in the ALCS, and they are absolutely the favorites now moving forward and they can sense it and I can sense it and I think even though a lot of you don't want to seem overconfident I think you can sense it as well the Red Sox are now they are moving in for the kill on the Houston Astros the Astros are a seriously broken and wounded animal right now their pitching is in complete disarray and in the wake of the Lance McCullers injury there is nowhere for Dusty Baker to turn to. In fact, tonight, in Zach Granke, they've got to turn to a guy who's not even really a starter now. Granke hasn't started a game since September 19th, one month ago today. And in that game, he only threw four innings. Because of injury and because of a bout with COVID, he's not stretched out. So what is Granke going to give you tonight? The Astros desperately need a performance and B they need length and I don't know that Granky is equipped certainly to give the latter and I don't know if he'll be able to give the former Zach Granky is a former Cy Young winner Zach Granky has had a great and borderline Hall of Fame career now 
Zach Greinke is a guy who throws 90 miles an hour and needs to be pinpoint with his command. And when you talk about the little amount of use that Greinke has had in the last month, who knows if he's going to have that pinpoint command. Blood is absolutely in the water tonight at Fenway Park. What we are seeing right now from the Red Sox is just incredible. This feels like extraterrestrial what's going on right now. This Red Sox team that got swept by Baltimore to start the season on its opening homestand, a team that was missing half of its team, half of its roster at the end of August and the beginning of September, a team that got flummoxed and embarrassed by the Detroit Tigers, a team that got killed from the by the Yankees the last two weeks of the season. This team is now two wins away from the World Series, and at this point, it would be a surprise and a disappointment if they didn't get there. The Red Sox should get to the World Series by the time the weekend is over. They are rolling that much, and the Astros are in that much turmoil. The Astros are they they are on the ropes, and the Red Sox need to go in for the kill today. The offense is amazing. Let me read you this stat. I could give you a ton of stats about the Red Sox offense. I think this one makes the biggest impact. The Red Sox right now in the postseason are hitting 317 with a 374 on base percentage and a 567 slugging. The Red Sox as a team in the playoffs, 317 batting average, 374 on base, 567 slugging. For perspective, Willie Mays, for his career, hit 301 with a 384 on base and a 557 slugging. As it stands right now, the Red Sox, as a team in the playoffs, have better numbers than Willie Mays. Willie Mays is a Hall of Famer. He's one of the best players in baseball history. Collectively right now, the Boston Red Sox, every player who steps to the plate is producing Willie Mays-esque, Hall of Fame-esque production. Of all the stats I could give you, that is the most amazing. The nine guys in the lineup for the Red Sox are Willie Mays. That's how good they've been. That's why they're the favorites. And like we talked about yesterday, we talked yesterday about the Red Sox lineup having a lot of depth and having a lot of length. And I love when we say something and then smart people go on later and say the exact same thing. Here's Jeff Passan of ESPN last night after game three. The difference is that the Boston Red Sox lineup is a lot deeper, I think, than even they recognized. You know, you had going into the year Rafael Devers and Xander Bogarts and J.D. Martinez and Alex Verdugo, but the fact that they've gotten the contributions from Kike Hernandez that they've gotten hitting over 500, it seems, this postseason, and Kyle Schwarber with a big grand slam. He was their trade deadline acquisition. Boston can really hit. The line, the, the lineup, rather, is deeper than we thought, to both mine and Passon's point. But it's truly amazing in one year how far this team has come. I mean, th- last year was a forgettable year in a lot of reasons. It was a forgettable year for the Red Sox, too. The Red Sox went 24-36 and 36 last season and finished last in the American League East. They finished one game behind the Baltimore Orioles. Last year, this team gave significant at-bats 
to Jose Peraza and Michael Chavis and Kevin Pillar and Suway Lin. And right now, this team is mashing the ball all over the yard. Last year, Suway Lin and, and Jose Peraza were getting real at-bats for this team. This year, it's Kike now, it's Kyle Schwarber. It's a different cast of characters, but the turnaround in one year is immense. You're supposed to be able to go worst to first in the NFL. You're supposed to be able to go worst to first in the NBA if you get one significant free agent or one significant draft pick. You aren't supposed to be able to do that in Major League Baseball. It's supposed to be a years-long, painstakingly hard process, and the Red Sox have expedited it into a one-year thing due to some great front office management, due to some great on-field and in-the-clubhouse management, and due to some great turnarounds and some career years. The Red Sox have gone from worst now to final four, potentially first in the AL. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury, text line 802-585-3026. This one comes from Nico over in Danville. Brady, who do you think is the most improbable player in this run for the Red Sox? Who's been the most improbable guy? Wow. Well, when every player is performing like Willie Mays, it seems, you know, there's any number of answers. The easy answer is Kike Hernandez, right? Of course. Like, we don't expect Kike Hernandez to turn into Babe Ruth. So he's the easy answer. But I'm going to try to dig a little deeper than that. I think J.D. Martinez. I think J.D. Martinez. I mean, Nick Pavetta being unbelievable out of the bullpen in the ALDS, that's up there. But overall, I think it's Martinez. If you're not going to go with Kike, you got to go with J.D. In 20 career playoff games, I saw this stat today for the Red Sox. In not just this year, but in 20 career playoff games with the Red Sox, Martinez is hitting 342 with 24 RBIs. He's been very good always for the Red Sox, but we didn't, we couldn't have seen this coming. He was injured with the ankle injury. He couldn't even play in the wild card game, so we had no idea what you were going to get from him in the playoffs. And on top of that, he really hadn't been that good for a large portion of the summer. Started out good, but you know overall really tailed off. So I think J.D. Martinez is the guy that maybe we couldn't have expected this from. With the ankle injury and with the lack of productivity, we just didn't know. We just didn't know. And Martinez has been there, and he has been huge, and he was huge again yesterday. Runner at first, two down, 9-3 Red Sox, bottom six, and the 0-1 to J.D. Martinez is hit a long way to left field, and it's gone. What a shot off the bat of Martinez, a two-run homer to make it 11-3. That was heard nationally like that on ESPN Radio. That was Dan Schulman on the call. Yeah, Mart, I could have expected Bogarts to be good in the playoffs. I could have expected Verdugo to be good with his energy in the playoffs. I could have expected, you know, Devers. I think what Devers has done clearly through injury has been unbelievable, but, you know, we didn't really know how injured he was coming in, so you know I wasn't uh, grading on a curve then before the playoffs. And I think I could have expected Schwarber just because he's a good eye and a good disciplined hitter. I could have expected him to be good. Martinez is the guy I really had no idea what I was going to get anything from. So uh, good question there from Nico. As always, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury. Text line 802-585-3026.
3026. Remember, by the way, subscribe to our full show podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. We're closing in on 320,000 lifetime downloads. We're also one week away from our one year birthday. I don't know, you know, I don't know if you celebrate a one year birthday for a radio show, but we're going to acknowledge it at least. It's Tuesday, October 26th and uh, you know, 320 plus thousand downloads in less than a year. That makes us and our staff pretty happy and pretty proud. So thank you to all of our great listeners out there. All right, Red Sox win yesterday. Patriots unfortunately lost this weekend. Pats are 2-4. and four. The voice of the team, Bob Sosi, is going to join us. Bill Belichick is being criticized harshly over the last couple of days. Is that criticism warranted? We'll ask Bob Sosi. He's next on WDEV. He's called the best of the Patriots past. They have completed the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. But now, it's time for these Patriots to bring a bright future to Foxborough. To Myers on the crossing route, turns along the sideline, inside the pylon. Touchdown, Patriots! Tua takes the snap, he's looking over the middle, moves up, moves up, he's hit. The ball floats toward the corner of the end zone, picked off by J.C. Jackson. Here comes the rookie, Matt Jones. It's the voice of the Patriots, Bob Sosi, on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show right here on a Tuesday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. I want to deviate now from the Red Sox conversation, as fun as that has been so far. Now I want to go to the Patriots, which is a little less fun of a storyline at the moment, the Pats two and four losers in overtime the other day to the Dallas Cowboys and joining us now, the voice of the Pats right here on DEV is Bob Sosi. Bob, how are you? I'm doing great, Brady. Good to be with you. Good to be with you again, as always. Bill Belichick, the coaching staff, in the crosshairs a little bit here, um, you know, in uh, overreaction Monday into overreaction Tuesday. Are they being too conservative? I really didn't like how they handled the end of the first half the other day. Is this criticism fair? Brady, you sure you don't want to talk about the Red Sox? <laughs> <laughs> it is a little bit happier of a uh, of a pool to be swimming in right now. Well, I think the questions are fair, and you know, with regards to the criticism, I think it really depends on the situation. And I just got off a call as we're we're talking, you and I, with other reporters locally, with Josh McDaniels, the Patriots' offensive coordinator, and he was asked a series of questions about fourth down decisions, whether to go for it or not. And as well, that situation you mentioned late in the first half on Sunday against Dallas, the Patriots had used timeouts when it looked like the Cowboys were going to score a touchdown. And then, of course, the Patriots got the ball back. They came up with a stand at the goal line, and they gave themselves an opportunity to have possession in the final minute and a half of that second quarter. And they had the lead at the point that point in the game and they had possession looming on the other side of halftime. And I think over the course of the last few years, even with Tom Brady, Bill Belichick had started to track more conservative in those situations, getting into halftime and regrouping. And I think McDaniel spoke to a number of factors. Number one, in sticking with that for a moment, those decisions are, are, are Belichick's call all the way, uh, as McDaniels just told us. And he's gotta be prepared if he's the, as the offensive play caller, you know, for Bill's decision. If he wants to go, they got to be ready to go. But he also was asked a question about the variables. And, and he said, we don't we don't work off a spreadsheet. It's not like in, in a situation, for example, on fourth down, uh, where some people say, well, you, you give yourself a, a 
3% greater win probability by going for it on fourth down. There's so many different factors, what the protection issues have been like and what the personnel on the other side has been like, what are the weather conditions, things of that nature. And I think in some respects, probably that also applies to that late first half decision too on Sunday. What I was thinking as the timeouts were being used is that, and I don't want to say Bill Belichick thought the Cowboys were going to score and didn't think his defense could stop them. But I think in anticipating the possibility of a score, maybe you're looking for, okay, we got to get the ball back now. There's an urgency. They just scored. We got to try. We got an opportunity here to double scores in and out of the half and retake the lead. But once the Patriots got that stop, maybe that situation at that point in time, because the Pats had had some trouble starting to protect Mac Jones again. They're having issues on the offensive line. Field position, you're thinking, okay, look, we made it through the half with the lead. Let's go to the third quarter with the ball, and we'll try to build on the lead then. Let's regroup right now and don't do anything that gives Dallas another opportunity. Now, Bill was much uh, more terse in his response to the questions about that situation. But I also think now projecting forward, having said all that, in, in with regards to the fourth down as well, whether it's Tampa Bay or the Cowboys, they're in a, they're in a very precarious spot. They're two and four. Now, granted, we've never been in a 17-game NFL season with you know, an extra playoff team in the fold. But we're in, an, in, a, in a situation where the Patriots – are going up against a pretty <laughs> pretty rigorous schedule. Not coming off the Cowboys, uh, they're, they're going to face the Jets this week. But then, you know, it's out to L.A. against the Chargers. And then you look down the road, you got Cleveland and Carolina on the rise. you got the Titans coming off their run over the Bills. you got the Bills twice. And maybe you have to start rethinking things a bit and being more aggressive down the stretch, particularly when you don't have the margin, uh, the, the, the talent that you used to have. And, and now that gap is a little widened with some teams and – Maybe you don't have the advantage with others, whereas in the past you used to, you could manage those games to keep them close, and then eventually the other team makes mistakes, you break it open, or at least you win the close games. Now we're seeing the Patriots, while the other team is making mistakes in these close games, make even more mistakes themselves, and they're losing these close games. So perhaps down the road, you've got to maybe be a little more aggressive when it comes to those fourth down decisions and try to steal some points that way. You know, Bob, the thing that confuses me and frustrates me about this team is I was ready. I was realistic coming into the season. Like, I was ready for them to be 2-4, and four, potentially. I was ready for them to struggle. But I was ready for the reason to be that they had the rookie quarterback. I was ready for Mac Jones to be the guy that was holding them back. What we've seen is, for the most part, a lot of the things that have added to them being 2-4 and four are not really his fault. The Nelson Aguilar drop in overtime was huge the other day the offensive line issues the blocked punt these are the things that are getting to them and not mac jones and that's the thing that i wasn't prepared for brady i would agree with you totally i mean when you talk about the offensive line i think you and i have probably discussed this in the past few weeks one of the factors that i thought mac jones was going to inherit as a rookie quarterback that would aid him in his rookie quarterback development would be a strong offensive line it has been anything but that it's been unstable we're seeing guys mix and match. They had to resort to using Isaiah Wynn on Sunday after he had not practiced for a couple of weeks because he was on the COVID reserve list, and he immediately had his struggles. Now, granted, Randy Gregory is a great pass rusher, but nonetheless, that doesn't excuse some of the hits that Jones took in that game, particularly from Gregory coming off the quarterback's right side in the play-action play 
on which he fumbled. And of course, the Patriots squandered a chance to take advantage of a Dallas mistake. And he's very fortunate he was able to rise from that and stay in the game and keep his team in a position to potentially win it. So you look at a situation like that, the offensive line. You look at what you're also, uh, I think, probably alluding to, too, uncharacteristic mistakes, block puns, special teams that extend into other areas like personnel usage, mm-hmm. a timeout wasted in the second half defensively. After you had trouble getting personnel on the field in the previous snap and, and guys weren't ready, Matt Judon's buckling up his chin strap as the quarterback Prescott is actually taking the snap and, and, and the Cowboys are executing their play. Those are the things you did not expect from this team. And now when you look back and you see the loss to Miami, the way it unfolded, and you see where the Dolphins are today, you look at the Saints. They lose to the Giants at home the following week. Uh, You look at the last two losses for the Patriots against Tampa Bay and Dallas, both very strong opponents. But also the, the Bucks were certainly off their game coming into Foxborough. Brady certainly was. And the Cowboys made such a rash of mistakes to keep the Patriots in that game in some respects, but also open the door to a possible victory. You know, those are the things that are really, I think, hard to digest where they are right now at two and four. Matt Jones has been not the least of their, you know, he's had his troubles too. Uh, You know, this is not to say he's been flawless, but he has been among the least of their concerns. Bob Sosi, voice of the Patriots, with us here as he is every Tuesday on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. You know, my criticism of Bill Belichick is, as I said, the end of the first half handling. But And I heard Phil Perry talking about this, and it really kind of illuminated my eyes to it. The, 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 the actives and inactives for the game seemed curious on Sunday. You're playing a team in Dallas with all the weapons and all the wide receivers and the great tight end usage as well, all the guys that can catch passes. And Joe Juan Williams is inactive. And Miles Bryant's not brought up from the practice squad. And... You saw as the game went on, the DBs were tired and they were injured, and the Patriots were left with a bunch of linebackers on the field and a bunch of linebackers who were active. I didn't get that. Did you guys make note of that during the game? You know, it's interesting, Brady, because I think that you have, have again, a couple of different things at play here. Number one, there's the decision. People always say, who will Belichick take away? He's known as a defensive coordinator and as a head coach for prioritizing Option A on the offense, we're going to take him out of this game. We're not going to let him beat us. Or option B on the offense, we're not going to let him beat us. And I think with the Cowboys, there is that predicament. Do you focus on stopping Zeke and that running game? And Pollard is very good back there, too, behind that offensive line. He came in. Both of them, Pollard and Elliott, 300-yard rushers. And Pollard was the league leader in average yards per carry. Or do you make stopping Prescott your priority? And I think... Not necessarily saying that the Patriots tried to shut down Elliott and and you know force Prescott to beat them because they blitzed him a lot. They they blitzed in that game more than they had previously, and they they paid a steep price. Particularly, you know, they used a lot of cover one coverage and they paid a steep price. So I, th- I that's understood. You know, I think that in that game, I think they tried they they, they tried to, to to play both. And when it comes to personnel in the secondary, they're really beat up. They had, and Gilmore wouldn't have been available anyway. But nonetheless, you, you look at that secondary, and then you see a guy like Jawan Williams down, and you see Miles Bryant back on, you know, staying on the practice squad. And then you try to match up with those Cowboy receivers. And I think you get a full appreciation when you watch guys like Wilson, as well as even Noah Brown, 
you know, one of the, the touches that he had in the game, an explosive play. And you see the kind of athletes they had to match up with across the board in that offense, not to mention the tight ends and the two backs coming out of the backfield. You realize right now what a disadvantage in a lot of cases the Patriots are at, even when they're at full strength, given their personnel, without Stephon Gilmore. If he you know, were in the, in, the, in the Patriots' you know, plans for the future, but he, well, he's not even here. But, you know, so they would have a tough time matching up with that team. And now you're trying to match up with them, as you've noted, you know, without a couple of cornerbacks who are either still in the practice squad or inactive. And I can certainly understand, you know, why people would have an issue with that. And Mike Reese wrote about it as well in a Sunday notebook. And it, and it certainly does raise questions. The other thing it does to me is it, it, it's another it's another indicator, more evidence of a, a real problem this team has from some of the recent draft classes. I'm very encouraged mm-hmm. by the 2020 class, the 2021 class. But there you had Nikhil Harry again, and I'm not trying to beat up on him. He's, he's an easy target, and, and, and people really you know, have, have gotten all their shots in against Nikhil Harry the last few years. But in a lot of cases, you know, the criticism is validated. as And, and he didn't have any, any real role in the passing game on Sunday. Did as a blocker, gives you good effort. But, you know, first-round pick, can't move in motion on cue. Mac Jones has to waste a snap deep in Dallas territory and throw the ball out of bounds. But then again, you get no production out of him in the passing game as well. And then there's the second-round pick who you mentioned, Jawan Williams. The Patriots traded up in the second round to get him in 2019. And this is a second game now in three weeks against high-powered passing teams that this tall cornerback was inactive, a healthy scratch. He did not play well, gave up a couple of long balls in Houston against pretty much pedestrian receivers. And you, and you look at that Cowboy talent, which I, I referenced, and you say, but Juwan Williams, you know, if he were the player the Patriots hoped and planned him for him to be, he would be a good matchup. Mm-hmm. He's, he's a bigger cornerback, and he was a healthy scratch. And then there was Chase Winovich, again, a guy who has had very little activity uh, this season from his position and, and played very few snaps the week before in Houston and then got hurt as well. And there's another pick from that 19 draft. I'm still upset about Duke Dawson from like five years ago who didn't well, work out. I mean, you know, there, 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 there are a lot. I mean, the Jordan Richards, uh, the Tavon Wilsons. I mean, those second-round picks, when you look back, particularly in the defensive backfield, and, I, and, and I'm not one of those guys that is, is, is beat that drum. So, you know, I, I don't want to suggest that, you know, I think it has been all doom and gloom over the course of the last eight to ten years. But – I do think that you know there there have been issues that didn't re, didn't really show themselves as much in the recent past because the Patriots had enough talent and they had Tom Brady, but now again they are often the less talented team or at least too often the less talented team, particularly when they're playing against other Super Bowl. Well, I shouldn't say other when they're playing <laughs> against teams that we think are you know definite playoff contenders and possible Super Bowl contenders. Well, I can't leave the Patriots. Here we are, middle of October, almost end of October, and the Patriots are winless at home. They're going to try to. Uh, Figure that out on Sunday against the Jets. We'll have it for you on WDEV. Bob Sosi will be on the call. Bob, 30 seconds we got here. Uh, Red Sox or Astros tonight in game four? Brady, the, the way the Astros pitching has been, oh. how can you go against the Red Sox? I know. You know, the Patriots were looking to have a strong start on Sunday. Josh McDaniels told us that was a focal point. And they got out to a good start. They stopped Dallas on fourth and short. They got the ball back and they scored a touchdown. But they could really use an offensive explosion the way the, <laughs> the Red Sox have generated in, in their first turn at the plate these last oh, two man. games. It's been amazing. Been amazing. We will have the coverage for you of that game tonight right here 
on DEV beginning at 7.08 with the pregame show. Bob, we appreciate the time. Look forward to hearing you and Zoe again on Sunday. Thank you, Brady. All right. Thank you, Bob Sosi, voice of the Patriots. We will get to some, uh, you know, recap what Bob had to say in the second hour of the show. What we'll do, we'll step aside, look at the national news update, and then when we come back, the Eduardo Rodriguez-Carlos Correa incident. Alex Cora may not have liked it. It was great for baseball. I'll tell you why next on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. About one hour away from the official pregame show with the Red Sox and Astros in Game 4. We'll have it for you beginning at 7.08. I want to thank Bob Sosi, the voice of the Patriots, for joining us as he does every single Tuesday. His full interview available on the Napa Morrisville or on the uh, Apple Podcast app as well as Spotify, rather. That's where you can find the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And again, if you want to have a thought on what Bob had to say about the Pats, you can text in on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line 802 585 3026. We're going to get to the Red Sox again in a second, but to Bob's point, it's exactly what we said yesterday. We expected Mac Jones to come in here and be propped up by everything, propped up by a better group of skill players, propped up by a better defensive room, propped up by a good running back room, and we expected him to be propped up by a good offensive line, and the offensive line has really been the biggest disappointment on this team. Everybody wants to point at the defense because of how many yards they gave up on Sunday, and while the line was better on Sunday, overall this season, it has been the biggest disappointment. I mean, look, in addition to what Bob just told us, listen to Mike Giardi, the NFL Network, what he had to say. And you saw it again yesterday where they are rotating their tackles, including Isaiah Wynn, who was on the COVID-19 reserve list, had not practiced for two weeks, was activated yesterday, and got snaps at left tackle against the Dallas Cowboys. That says we have a problem, Houston, and we don't know how to fix it. We don't know how to fix it. It seems desperate for the Pats on the offensive line. Guys that can't practice for two weeks are now out there playing significant snaps. Guys are rotating around. Michael Wainu, Michael Wainu rather, is is playing tackle and guard. There's a lot of questions there and a lot of soul-searching for answers, and right now the Patriots haven't had it. But it, the run game hasn't been what we thought, and Mac Jones has gotten hit far too often. And the hit he took on Sunday for that fumble from Randy Gregory was violent. I mean, we are lucky that Mac Jones got up from that and was able to play and continue to play well because that was a nasty hit. The offensive line has been the most disappointing part of this season so far for the Pats. And I would and I mentioned this to Bob, but it warrants one more go around here. I didn't notice this in real time, so I'm not going to act like I was on this right away, but Phil Perry, who we always talk to from NBC Sports Boston, he raised this question, and I and I am thinking along the same lines with him now after the fact. The Patriots were playing the Cowboys, the Cowboys who have two great receivers, multiple other receiver weapons, have good pass catching backs, and have a tight end who you know is a is a top passing threat at the position. A lot of pass catchers for the Dallas Cowboys. And the Patriots made inactive a defensive back, Jawan Williams, and made inactive, you know, Miles Bryant, who they didn't bring off the practice squad. 
all those fast receivers, and the Pats went with a scant group of defensive backs and instead went with bigger linebackers. I, I don't understand that. To Bob's point, you know, there's so many weapons for the Cowboys that you were always maybe going to find yourself in a, mitch, in a mismatch, but I would have rather tried to match up in the pass game and let them run. I said that last week. Let the Cowboys run the football. Bait them into running it. Try to get them into 12-play drives and hope you can stall out a field goal or hope that you can force a turnover at some point at the end of those drives like has happened to the Patriots this year. Instead, it appears like they made the running game the effort to stop and let Dak Prescott throw it all over the yard, and he did just that. And at, at one point on Sunday, Justin Bethel got injured. Jonathan Jones left the game. Adrian Phillips was shaken up. So three players in your secondary were beaten up and or were taken out of the game, and you didn't have a whole lot of answers to go to. Again, I didn't see it in real time. I didn't see it in real time. I didn't pay attention to the actives and inactives. I, so I admit that. I wasn't thinking this going into the game, but after the fact, I think it was a perfectly fair question that Phil Perry asked. Travis Silver on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. I'm taken aback, Brady, by the amount of draft picks, to Bob's point, that have not worked out for the Pats. At this point, you might as well add Nikhil Harry to that list. Bob is right. It's popular to bag on the Patriots draft picks. And, you know, it's kind of a played out storyline, but it is one that you have to go back to. And you have to go back to it over and over again. Because let's look at this. When the Patriots had Tom Brady and he was making a bunch of money, he wasn't making top of the market money, but he was making a lot of money. You needed to supplement him with talent. And they tried that in the free agent market by bringing in Gilmore and Antonio Brown and re-signing Dante Hightower. So, like, they spent in free agency to go make moves for Brady. It also would behoove the Pats to have a great, you know, a couple of great draft classes there on the cheap. They didn't really have it. And now you've got Mac Jones and you've got some good, some good top-end talent that you spend for at the top of the market. But your depth, when it gets tested, isn't really there. I mean, let's guys, let's pull up the Patriots' recent draft classes. And let's just see how many have hit, okay? Let's just see how many have hit in the last couple of years. Look, we can't do 2021, right? Mac Jones look good, looks good. Christian Barmore looks fine. Ramondre Stevenson has made an impact. So there's a couple of players out of this year's class that are making impacts. 2020, Kyle Duggar. You know, starting to make an impact. Josh Uche, we heard a lot about him in the uh, in the preseason. We haven't called his name as much in the regular season. Anthony Jennings, we don't talk about. Devin Asiasi, we don't talk about. Dalton Keene, we don't talk about. Justin Rohrwasser, the kicker, cut. Michael Nwenu and Justin Haran, they have played. So they, they've gotten on the field and played a lot, actually. Wouldn't call them great, but Nwenu did have a good year last year as a rookie. Now... 2019, Nikhil Harry, yes, at this moment, bust. Joan Williams, inactive again. Chase Winovich, playing sparingly. Damian Harris, we like. Jake Bailey, we like. Other than that, not a lot going on there. The year before, Isaiah Wynn, on and off. Uh, Sony Michelle, well, you got rid of him. 
Duke Dawson, gone. Jawan Bentley's played well, but it's taken a while. Everybody else, gone. Derek Rivers, Antonio Garcia, Connor McDermott, gone. Dietrich Wise, he's played fairly well. So we're talking about like one to two a year that have a semi-hit rate. And that's a problem for the Pats. When you had Brady making more money, you needed to supplement with young, cheap talent. They couldn't do it. That's how they ended up in cap hell because they had to go get Josh Gordon and go get Antonio Brown. Now you have the young talent. You have spent at the top of the market, but your depth has been tested through injury, and you don't have as much depth because you haven't drafted well. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Now to the Red Sox. The Eduardo Rodriguez incident yesterday with Carlos Correa was great for baseball. But I do get why Alex Cora doesn't think it's great for the Red Sox. If you didn't see this yesterday, or you stopped watching because the Sox were up so big, after Erod got Correa out at the end of the sixth inning, Erod pointed to his wrist and said, you know what time it is, basically. That was making fun of... Correa, who homered in game one, pointed to his wrist and go, do you know what time it is? So Erod's giving it back to Correa. There's multiple different sides to this story. There's how Erod feels about it, all, about, about it all. There's how Correa feels about it all. There's how Cora feels about it all. And there's how we feel about it all as fans. Let's start with us, the fans, and then move to Cora. We'll get to Erod at about 20 minutes because I want to talk about his you know his comments on this separately for us as fans this interaction between Erod and Correa was great for baseball a great moment for baseball rivalries are good conflict is good personality is good look in the other sports we love touchdown dances We love the flexing and the shimmying in the NBA. We love the silence of the crowd. We talked about Trey Young silencing Madison Square Garden. We love conflict. We love somebody who gives it back to somebody else. We love all the conflict that these kind of interactions create. It helps bring intrigue to the sport of baseball. We talk about baseball needing an injection of life. Well, what better way to inject life into the sport by you know by having a little bad blood infused into it. And by the way, it was great because it was bad blood that was settled on the field. Now we don't have to go into next year wondering if Correa is going to get thrown at. We, we got the moment on the field, and now it's done. It was fun. It was appropriate. No one had to get hit by a weapon to prove a point. Last night was perfect. It created energy. It created fun. And for the casual fan, for the non-Red Sox fan, for the non-Astros fan, it created drama and intrigue. It created an entry point, a conversation point. That, that was great. If you are an average fan, why do you need to watch this series? Oh, now the two teams are talking trash to each other. Now I'm interested. That's a hook. And that's a great hook for the sport. Everybody loves to hate the Astros. This was a case of of Erod giving the Astros a taste of their own medicine. It helps the casual fan who hates the Astros have another reason to pile on them. 
If you're the Astros fan, it helps you get more and more defensive about your team, and then boom, we've got more conflict, which I just told you is good, more drama, more interest. We've spent so much of the year, so much of... I've been in sports radio for now, hard to believe, seven years. I've been doing this as a career for seven years, and for all seven years, I've heard the same tired commentary, is baseball boring? Is baseball slow? Has baseball lost the young fan? Well, last night was not boring. Last night was for the young fan. It was entertainment to see Correa get a little bit of a taste of his own medicine and to see Erod give it to him. That was great theater last night at Fenway Park. For the casual fan, it wasn't boring. It was great. We talk all the time in baseball about letting the kids play. Well, this was them actually doing it. This is what happens on your local wiffle ball field. This is what happens on your sand lot in your neighborhood. This kind of stuff. It was great theater, and it was great for the sport. And in a game that was a blowout, in a game that otherwise stopped being interesting by the third inning for the most part, if you stuck around, you were rewarded for that. I loved it last night as a casual fan, or as a fan, rather, I loved it. And Tom Karen, Red Sox insider at Nesson, he told me he loved it too. Well, I, I loved it in real time. When it happened, we I was with Jim Rice and Lenny Bernardo and Louis Tiant. We were sitting there upstairs, and, uh, and everybody thought it was fantastic. So that is how the fans felt, okay? TC feels how the fans feel. I feel how the fans feel. We loved it. Alex Cora didn't like it. And I have to say, I can acknowledge why he didn't like it either. Here's what Cora said after the game. Because we don't we, we don't act that way. I mean, you know, we we just show up, we play, and we move on. And uh, he knows. I, I let him know. It, you know, we don't have to do that. You know, if we're looking for motivation outside of what we're trying to accomplish, we're in the wrong business. I understand Cora. He doesn't like it because he doesn't want to give, doesn't want to do anything to fire up the Astros. Solely about bulletin board material. He says, we don't do that. We don't need to do that, blah, blah, blah. He doesn't want the Astros fired up. He doesn't want them to have anything extra for tonight. He knows that his own team, the Red Sox, Cora knows the Red Sox are able to draw on any slight and able to use it to their advantage. Well, he wants the Astros to be sleeping dogs that are left to stay sleeping. He doesn't want them to have any reason to wake up. Cora knows, like I know, like you know, that there's blood in the water tonight. He doesn't want the Astros to have any reason to get off the mat. So that is why he doesn't want it. Okay, That's why he doesn't want it. I don't really think that, that Cora has a huge problem with the act itself. He has a problem with the timing, the opponent, and the situation, and that's what Tom Karen told me too. You know, he's being the father finger. He's like, we don't need to do that. Uh, and it's not, you know, he said, I'm not mad at him. I just, you know, we don't do that. We try to stay above that for the very reason I just said, because you saw the Yankees motivate them. You saw the Rays motivate them. You saw Carlos Correa motivate them. Don't give them any extra motivation. You know, I also think, I, I think that's the main reason, right? No bulletin board material is the number one reason why Cora is against this. I do wonder, though, Cora used to coach the Astros, clearly knows Correa, has a relationship with Correa. I wonder if that's a little bit of a part of this, that, hey, 
You're not only not going to do that in this situation, you're not going to do it against the guys that I used to coach with, the guys that I know and the guys that I have a relationship with. I don't know that that's the fact. I'm just wondering, does Cora have more of a soft spot for his old friends, his old employer, and the guys that he used to work with, especially when they were younger and coming up? Like, he's known Correa for a while, and he knew Correa as a 22-year-old. Does he have a bit of a soft spot for Correa? I don't know that. The main reason, he doesn't want bullets and board material. Maybe, just maybe a side plot to that whole thing is that he knows Correa well and he knows the Astros well. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Here's John in Roxbury. Brady, I'm old school. I'm in my late 50s, about to be 60. I like that Alex Cora said, we don't play like that. I think it's best to let your play do the talking. I'm not a fan of what Erod did. John, I get it. I get it. I'm generally old school also. As, as a 31-year-old, I'm generally, you know, play the game the right way guy. Like, generally, that's how I am too. I've been that way for my whole life. I've had to change my tune, though, over the years. I personally am not a talker. I do like to let my play do the talking. But I want the game to be seen as fun. I want the game to be seen as fun. To me, baseball is the best game in the world. And I want people to enjoy it. And we need to recognize that the game itself is entertainment. You know, I tr- I treat baseball Like, every time you step on the field, it's hallowed grounds. I need to recognize it's entertainment. And last night was entertaining. We got, the more entertaining it is, the more people are going to want to watch. Last night, we got real emotions. We got real sentiment. And that's what people love. That's entertaining. I mean, look, Erod's, Correa's emotion in in game one, that was real. Erod's retort last night, that was real. Schwarber. Standing and watching his grand slam. That was real. The relievers who pump fists all postseason. That's real. The energy is great. The emotion is great. We need to have more of that. I won't do it personally. It's not my style. It's not my personality. But it is entertainment. And last night was entertaining. So I get why Cora doesn't like it. It's not necessarily good for the Red Sox to rile up the Astros. It is good for baseball. It is good for baseball. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. I'm going to do something I have never done in the history of this show. I'm going to take a phone call on the air here random. I never take phone calls. The reason why, the way this studio is configured with only me in here directly, I can't answer phone calls. That's why I only ever give the text line. We've had somebody call in a couple of times that I've had to ignore. I'm going to answer this call now, live on the air, and if it's not about baseball or not about what we're talking about, I'm never going to be able to take a phone call again. So it's a lot of pressure on you, caller. Who are you and where are you calling from? Hey, I'm Brian from Roxbury, Vermont as well. All right, Ryan, what's on your mind? No, Brian with the B. Oh, Brian, what's on your mind? Well, I'm older than the last guy, but I'm talking about baseball. Okay. I agree with everything you said. I really like your show, by the way. Thank you. I agree with, you know, the excitement. It is that, but being old enough, and I grew up in Boston, is the price of the actual ticket. 
I, I think that, you know, for young kids, if they, if they can't go to a game by themselves, like a 15-year-old or a 14-year-old, when they're able to take the bus or something like that, because it's so expensive. Yeah. That's, so that's my question. Yes, well, I appreciate I understand the excitement. It's just the expense of this game, which I understand. But it will, how, how will that affect the future? All right. Brady. Well, appreciate that. So Brian says he loves baseball, but kids might be walking away from it because they just can't get there as much. This is a tougher sell in Boston because the, the games have generally been sold out in non-COVID years. But we have seen some places give incredibly cheap tickets to school-aged kids. You know, And it helps fill the stands, which helps look better on TV. But it also gets kids into it. I remember Baltimore was doing you know all-day games. You know, Kids get in for 10 bucks or whatever. And those are great initiatives. I want kids to love baseball like I love baseball. To me, there is no sport better than baseball. I talk so much football on this show because I know by and large that you all like football more than baseball. That's just what the metrics say. The metrics tell me that football is more popular than baseball. So, therefore, I spend you know, a lot of time talking football. I would talk baseball all show every day of the year if I could, but it's not what you're interested in. I want kids to love baseball like I love baseball. Last night, the excitement, that was good stuff. I do want to take exception, though, to something Alex Cora said. Here's what Cora, remember, here's a reminder. Here's what Cora said. Because we don't, we, we don't act that way. I mean... You know, we, we just show up, we play, and we move on. We, sh- we, d- we don't do that. That's what Alex Cora said. I'm laughing internally because that's just not true. I love Cora. He has done um, unbelievable stuff. He's done unbelievable stuff for this team. Um, he's, not, he's not being truthful there. He says, we don't do those things. No, no, no. You do do those things. You just don't want the Red Sox doing them now. Do you remember 2018? Red Sox win the World Series at the Victory Parade in Boston. Here's what Cora said. The New York Yankees, yeah, the sky was falling. You know, we lost game two, and he was panicking here. Everybody was like, whoa, it's over. We scored 16 at Yankee Stadium. Suck on it. I don't even know if I can repeat that on the radio. Cora just said in 2018, he goes, suck on it. Obviously, Alex Cora, the Red Sox are not above board. They're not above ruffling some feathers or going below the belt. The manager himself, who says we don't do that, said suck on it in 2018. Adam Adovino this year looked in Shohei Otani's face in Anaheim and said, happy birthday, BITC, finish the rest. The Red Sox do things to get under your skin. The Red Sox do things that are not above board. And Alex Cora doesn't say a word about it. Heck, he even partakes in it. He doesn't want the Red Sox doing those things now in this situation against this opponent. He wants sleeping dogs to stay sleeping. It's not that Alex Cora is anti-fun or anti-personality. He's anti-it right now. But don't tell me that we don't do that. You do do that. You've done it yourself. So I, I was laughing about that. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Marco up in Warren says, Brady, in regards to the last caller, you are aware the Red Sox do student tickets and things like that. Yes, Marco, I'm aware of that. The Red Sox do cheap tickets for college students. I, I don't know what they do for 8-year-olds. I don't know what they do for 11-year-olds. So 
if, if they've got some special there that I'm not fully aware of, that's that's fine. You can tell me that. But I know the Red Sox do great standing room only tickets for college students. Bring your college ID. I think it's get a $9 ticket. There you go. Uh, yeah, $9 tickets for, you know, for students standing room only. That's great for 21-year-olds that want to get boozed up. We're talking about eight-year-olds that want to fall in love with the game, 11-year-olds that want to fall in love with the game. It's the Brady Farkas Show here on DEV. Um, do I have time for who's saying what? We still need a new intro for who's saying what, but let's go ahead and take a run out of here. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Here's what we know about New England. Their running game production, their offensive line, their special teams, and their defense will all be top five, and they have the best coach in the game. They're going to win a bunch of games. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, Albert Breer, Monday morning quarterback, was talking about the Patriots, and he was talking with Trayvon Diggs, the defensive back for the Cowboys, who had to pick six off Mac Jones. He's also Mac Jones' former Alabama teammate. Here's what Breer said. And it just sort of makes me wonder, are they really pushing this kid or are they working too hard to protect him? And it's going to be interesting to see if they're willing to take more chances with him as we get deeper into the season. Are the Patriots really letting this kid go or are they working too hard to protect him? That's the crux of Breer's question. And it's a good question and it's a fair question. I think the Patriots need to seriously examine themselves. And we were talking about this with Bob Sosi. They need to figure out from this point what their real goals are this season. Because if their goal right now at 2-4 and four, is still to win games and try to make the playoffs, then they need to stick with whatever game plan they think is best for winning games on an individual game-by-game basis. There do need to be some mild tweaks as far as I'm concerned. Mac Jones has shown you, you know, against what I thought, he has shown you he's one of your best players right now. You do need to put the ball in his hands more than you have. He does not need to throw it 48 times a game right now. If your goal is to win every week and try to get to the playoffs this year and you think you have a chance at that, then you still need to make decisions that are in the best interest of winning games that week. And if that means letting Mac Jones throw it 38 times one week and 14 the next, then so be it. If you think you can still make the playoffs this year, then you have to manage each game as itself and maybe Mac Jones does a lot one week and maybe Mac Jones doesn't do a lot the next week all dependent on the game plan if you think and I don't think you're there now but you're two and four if at some point you deem yourself out of it for 2021 then you need to start thinking about letting Mac Jones grow and it's no longer about winning each week it's about getting Mac Jones some development Right now, two and four. Jets coming up should be three and four coming up after this week. You're still in it. And when you're still in it, then you still manage the game. Again, maybe Mac Jones is a huge part of it one week. Maybe he's not the next. It's all about winning that game. If you get to the point where you think you are out of it, maybe that comes in week nine. Maybe that comes in week 12. Maybe that comes in week 14. But whenever that is, 
that's when you start thinking about letting Mac Jones grow. It still doesn't mean letting him throw it unnecessarily 54 times a game. But if it stops being about winning in 2021, it needs to become about development. And Mac Jones will continue to grow and develop as you give him more different challenges, more different situations, and it's not solely about can we win the game. If they get if they're out of it, they should be letting Mac Jones go for it on fourth down more often. They should be letting him throw for it on fourth down. They should let him take the ball with 90 seconds left and no timeouts at the end of the half and try to make something happen. They should allow him to be more in control of the offense at the line of scrimmage. While it's still about winning, you can still handle certain situations with kid gloves. I don't love what the Patriots did last week in how they handled the end of the first half. I did not have as big an issue with them punting on fourth and three at their own 46 in overtime. I'm still mostly okay with how they've brought Mac Jones along because it's about winning right now. If it ceases to be about winning, then it can be about Mac Jones's development. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Did get a... Uh, text in from Craig up in Montpelier who says, Brady, I want to see if you saw the post-game show last night with Tom Karen on Nesson. It was absolute mayhem. These crazy, passionate Red Sox fans are also good for baseball. It's ironic you say that, Craig, because that's where we're going to go next. I think Boston is a Red Sox town. I think Boston is a Red Sox town. I have said that for the last five years, and I have been laughed out of this marketplace. I think last night proved to me Boston is a Red Sox town. Do you agree with me? That's next on the Brady Farkas Show and WDEV. Coming up today at 530 on the Brady Farkas Show, we're back at it talking about last night's crucial Game 3 of the American League Championship Series between the Red Sox and the Astros. What were the keys to the game, and what happens now? What's the plan on the mound for Game 4 for the Sox? And coming up at 5.45 today, we'll talk with the voice of the Patriots, Bob Sosi. Pats off another close but tough loss. This time at the hands of the Cowboys, we'll talk about what they do moving forward. Brady Parker Show today at 5.30 right here on WDEV AM and FM. Yeah, that T shouldn't have played there. That should have stopped being able to play when the sh- at 5.29 and 30 seconds. Hey, we've already talked to Bob Sosi. We're still talking about the Red Sox. Now let's get back into rhythm here. Your chance to be part of the show is on the text line at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Show brought to you in part by Evan Holstrom Racing. Evan Holstrom, an 18-year-old race car driver out of Northfield, Vermont. He is... One of the uh, up-and-comers on the Pro All-Star Series pass, the super late models. We just had the Milk Bowl over at Thunder Road while Evan Hallstrom is the youngest person ever to qualify for the Vermont Milk Bowl. Has had a, um, you know, gotten a, a crash early in the season. Had his car have a lot of issues throughout the year, so he hasn't been able to make the kind of scent up the standings this year that he wanted. But he is still out there, still lurking, and there's still races to come. While the ACT season is coming to an end, the past season continues into December, and Evan Holstrom will have chances to get back out there. Yeah, I think at its core, and I, 802-585-3026, at its core, I think Boston 
and New England are Red Sox Nation. And I've been laughed out of places for this take. And I'm not trying to be contrarian. When I think of Boston, when I think of New England, I think of the Red Sox. Now, obviously, you know because baseball has hats, I understand that baseball hats are going to be more of a um, you know, more fat, you know, more fashionable than a football hat, right? Football hats are fun, but they're not part of the actual uniform. So, baseball hats are always going to be more prevalent than football attire. But I see more Red Sox garb than I see Patriots garb. When I associate in my mind, if I say Boston, the first thing that comes to my mind, that is the Red Sox. When I think of this region, I think of baseball. And I know some people will say it's not anybody's town. It's just a winner's town. Some people will say it's a Patriots town. But I believe in my core that Boston and New England are Red Sox country more than anything else. Of course, the Patriots are beloved. Of course, their success is unparalleled. But I just feel like there's something about the Red Sox that really resonates with fans in this region. In a way, the ups and downs of a baseball team, they represent and identify with the ups and downs of our real lives. Like, hey, you're good for a bit, you're down for a bit, you achieve great highs, you get horrible lows, and you just kind of ride the wave. That's what a baseball team brings you. The Patriots have been so good, and they have stayed so good, like, they feel like that kid that hit the lottery. It, they, they don't feel realistic. It, they don't feel realistic to me. The Red Sox are an arc that people can identify with. They're bad forever. They get they're, You're heartbroken forever. You finally get to the top of the mountain a couple of times, and then, boom, a couple of last place finishes. Boom, trade away a franchise icon in Mookie Betts. I just feel like the up and down nature of the Red Sox makes them more relatable. The Patriots don't feel relatable to me. The Patriots feel like the kid who... For the last 20 years, I understand they were awful beforehand, but they feel like for the last decade, they've been the kid whose parents made it big in the stock market, and they've been hanging out at the country club ever since, and they no longer feel relatable. I love the Patriots, but their story, their arc, it doesn't feel like me. The Red Sox feel like me. Heartbreak. Having to overcome obstacles. It's tough. It's difficult. It's a grind. Then we're great, and it's awesome. We're at the top of the mountain. And then you can't stay there. Then you get back. Then things go down, go south again. It, it's just a baseball season and a baseball team do to you what a football team can't. I asked Tom Karen, Red Sox pre- and post-game show host, about this. It is still a football world, uh, and that you know football dominates everything else. That said, uh, there is a... a, a, a underlying passion for the Red Sox and baseball in Fenway Park in Boston that has never gone away. It's never gone away. And I think there are people out there that will say that, hey, the Patriots aren't great right now, so the Red Sox are kind of recapturing something. Now, I always think I'd be interested in this. 802-585-3026. If you as a fan could have one choice, hey, you get to win a championship, this year, 
you get to choose the Red Sox or the Patriots, who would you want? I think most people would choose the Red Sox. I think the Red Sox would win that poll. I do. I understand football is the more popular sport across the country. But in our region, if I asked you, which team would you rather have a championship from if you can only get one? It would be the Boston Red Sox. How many people pre-2004 were saying that if the Red Sox would just win one title, I could die happy? No one was saying if the Patriots could win one title, I would die happy. You would love a Patriots title. It would be fun, but it wouldn't mean what a Red Sox title would mean. And because of that, I've always thought of our region as Red Sox first. I think of Chicago as a baseball region. I understand baseball is a regional sport. But there are a lot of places where I think the baseball title would mean more than the football title. If I asked you in Miami what would mean more, Marlins or Dolphins, most people would say Dolphins. If I asked you in, um, let's see, if I asked you in Cleveland what would mean more, the Indians slash Guardians or the Browns, I think most people would say the Browns. Pittsburgh, I think they'd say the Steelers over the, uh, over the Pirates. But in Boston, in our area, I think people would say the Red Sox over the Patriots. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. The Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line is open, as always, 802-585-3026. I want to get back quickly to the uh, Eduardo Rodriguez incident with Carlos Correa. I told you I loved it as a fan. We talked about how Alex Cora didn't like it. Cora talked to Erod and told him that he didn't like it. Here's what Erod said after the game about the whole thing. I mean that was that was part of the game, you know what I mean? That that was that was just part of the game, you know what I mean? The, the atmosphere, the the moment and everything. Um, I mean I did it. I mean what else we can do, you know what I mean? Just turn the page and go out there tomorrow. And the conversation with Alex was he just told me like don't do that, you know what I mean? Um be humble and don't do that. So that's something that I really gotta learn, you know what I mean? And and if uh, if that's that, that's it. That's all. You know what I mean? It was part of the game and I mean what else I can do, you know. Sometimes I feel like sometimes either Show ups all the time. I mean, as a pitcher, we got we got our time too. You know what I mean? So, like I said, part of the game. All right, Eddie. Erod doesn't care. E- Cora said, "I don't like it. We don't do that." I'm telling you, the Erod's answer is basically, "We don't care." Basically, I don't care. He can be upset. I'll say the right thing, but you can tell by Erod's answer, he doesn't care. He said, "I did it and move on." He said, "It's part of the game." You can tell. He liked it last night. He said the hitters get to do whatever they want, and now this was our chance to do something. So Cora can say what he wants, and Erod can say I'll apologize because that's the right answer in the media when your manager has kind of called you out like that. Erod's glad he did it. Deep down, he's glad he did it. He's standing up for pitchers. He's standing up for himself. He's standing up for, for Red Sox Nation and for the Red Sox. He's giving it back to Correa and, you know, it was premeditated. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing last night. There's a reason why he didn't break that out in the second inning. He broke it out in the sixth because he knew his day was done and he knew he had done the damn thing. He wanted to do it. He planned to do it. He had an opportunity to do it, and he pitched well enough to do it. Erod, you're not fooling anybody. 
After the game, he said he'd apologize to Correa. He may do that because his manager wants him to, but he doesn't mean it. And I love it. It's the Brady Farkas show on DEV. All right, a couple of uh, other messages coming in. Marco in Warren says, uh, maybe the boozed-up college kids aren't great for getting young kids into the game, as you said, at Fenway, but it does seem like the crowd is crazier and younger it feels like the Red Sox made a conscious effort to make that happen. Am I off base there? If I'm not, then who pushed for that? Um, you know, that's that's an interesting question. Is there a younger crowd at Red Sox games? I, I, I don't know the answer. I'm only speculating. I wonder if that's true, if the pandemic has something to do with it. You know, we know that older people are more at risk. We know that games with 50,000 people close together like that would would certainly be considered a possible super spreader event. Maybe older people are staying away because they feel less comfortable. And maybe young people are feeling more comfortable. They are more eager to get out and back into social circles. And maybe if the older people are vacating the, you know, those ticket sales, there's younger people there to take them. I don't know that. I'm just saying that, and I'll make a conscious effort to look at the crowd today and see the demographics and just see if I see more, we'll say 18 to 34-year-olds. And if I do, maybe there's something to that. I can tell you the crowd is raucous, and it feels to me like it's just because of pent-up everything. The team was bad last year. There were no fans in the building. It wasn't even a full stadium for all of this year. The team is good now. It feels to me like the natural um, love that comes from a baseball team, its city, and its fans. But maybe, just maybe, there's a chance that some people are staying away because of the virus and young people are there to capitalize. Unnamed texter comes in and says, I would choose the Red Sox over the Patriots every day. Baseball is America's sport. It has more heart and soul. Go Sox. Like, I feel like baseball is America's sport. That's me, and that's you. Football is America's favorite sport. I have the research and the, and the, uh, I have the research to support it and the statistics to prove it. I don't have to love that, but that's the way it is. But I do feel like in places that there would be a lot of, um, a lot of fan bases that would choose their baseball team over their football team. You know, and I think in L.A., they'd probably choose the Lakers over the Dodgers than over the Rams. I think basketball would matter more there. In, you know, in Detroit, maybe the Red Wings would matter more. But I think that the, you know, I could see the Lions mattering more than the Tigers, although that's a pretty rich history all the way around. But I just think in this region, I'd choose the Red Sox over the Patriots. Another unnamed texter. To demonstrate your point, I remember going down to Boston when the Pats won their second Super Bowl. Two things. Thousands of people roamed through the streets celebrating. Um, <laughs> once we got a little further into the celebration, a chant broke out. It wasn't about the Pats. It was Yankees suck, Yankees suck. Two, the next day the front page of the Boston Globe had a poll. Would you trade both Pats titles for one Sox title? I don't remember the exact number, but it's safe to say a huge number would. And the fact that the Globe put that out the day after the Super Bowl speaks volumes. Yeah, I think it does. 
I think there are a lot of people, and I understand also in the in the Sox case they hadn't won at that point, so you were so desperate. But I just feel like if you were if you told if neither team had titles, and you said you can get one, I think more people would choose the Red Sox. Brady Farkas show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. All right, last segment. The Red Sox are winning in a way that I didn't think you were supposed to be able to win. I'll tell you what that is next. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to talk for a few more minutes until the end of the show. Then we're going to go to a CBS News break, and then at about 7.05, I'm going to come back with the lineups for the Red Sox game. So game four of the ALCS with the pregame show is 7.08. 8.08 is the first pitch. So the show will end you know, at its normal time, but I will come back after the news update and give you those lineups. Red Sox up two games to one in this series, going into tonight's game number four. Sox looking to take a commanding 3-1 lead. I would say the biggest challenge tonight is to just come out focused. There is blood in the water. There is momentum, but... To Dusty Baker's point, what he said yesterday is, hey, whether you lose one nothing or 21 to nothing, it's only one game. It all counts as one. So the Red Sox need to be just as focused tonight as they were last night. That's probably the biggest challenge is just being able to stay locked in. The Red Sox have done a good job of that, though. The Red Sox, though, are doing something that I didn't think you could do in the playoffs, and that is rely on the long ball. Every year that I've hosted radio shows, you know, I've we've talked about teams that hit a lot of home runs and said, yeah, but can they do it in October? The weather's colder. It's harder to hit home runs. The pitching is better. The bats dry up. The, the, the postseason is about small ball and it's about pitching, and you can't be a home run happy team and have success in the playoffs. The Red Sox are. They are winning a way I didn't think was possible. Home runs by Devers, home runs by Schwarber, home runs by Arroyo, by J.D. Martinez, the Red Kike. The Red Sox are hitting the ball out of the park at a rate that I didn't think was sustainable, and they're playing a style that I didn't think was winnable. Like, yes, the Astros pitching is in tatters, so maybe it's easier to hit them. The Rays pitching wasn't, and the Red Sox did this to them also. Every year when we talk about the Yankees, when the Twins hit a zillion home runs, it was like, yeah, but they won't be able to do it in October, so they better figure something else out. The Red Sox are doing it with the home run ball. We can't overstate, though. They are, in a di- before the home runs, they're doing some good things as well. The 11-pitch uh, the walk by Verdugo yesterday that set up, you know, started the second inning rally for them, thing of beauty. Thing of beauty. Before we got the Schwarber Grand Slam, we got a couple of walks kicked off by the Verdugo walk. So, yeah, they are hitting home runs, but they are also, I have to acknowledge, doing other things. They're beating the shift well. They are, uh, you know, Verdugo to another one, hitting the ball the other way. When they shift on him, he hits the ball the other way. Red Sox are doing a lot of things well offensively. I just didn't think you could win in October with this kind of power being at the crux of your game. Red Sox are doing it. I hope it continues tonight. It's Zach Greinke. It's Nick Pavetta. It's game four of the ALCS. As I've said, Red Sox are the favorites. Keep the momentum, keep the focus, and they should be able 
to win tonight as well. We'll break it all down for you tomorrow. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB.